Psalms, Psalms chapter 2. That's where we found our scripture reading a little earlier. And I want to share just a, a, a few words from this chapter of Psalms. We are living in very difficult, strange times and a, a lot of questions are around us. I was uh, given the opportunity recently to visit a man in hospital who uh, many believe uh, that he's on his way out, on his way home, and very precious opportunity to be with him uh, at, that at this time, and very encouraging that he would be able, could, could give such an assurance of his faith in Christ for his family and to those of us who were there. And uh, what a very special, special time that was. I was leaving the hospital there and noticed that the ward he was in was the Esther ward. I couldn't help but think about that verse in the book of Esther, for such a time as this. And I thought about that, and in fact, I, I nearly um, preached from the book of Esther today, but the book of Esther teaches us something very interesting. God is in control. And when things, especially when things look so chaotic and they look as if God is nowhere to be seen and God's people appear to be uh, losing the battle, never forget that God is in control. And this is a psalm that deals exactly with that thought. And I hope that this morning it will help. The very first verse of Psalm chapter 2 begins with a question, why? That's a question a lot of people are asking themselves today. Why is this happening? Why is there such a mass worldwide pandemic? And why are there such extreme measures in caring for it? And why? Uh, why, why, why? We, we hear that question a lot. And the psalmist writes, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is a chapter that deals very clearly and directly with the reign and kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of chapters in the book, book of Psalms that deal with the reign and kingdom of Jesus Christ, but oftentimes they're done uh, allegorically, you could say, or they're done, uh, David is speaking about his kingdom, but it's a reference also to the kingdom of Christ. Well, this one is clearly and definitely speaking about Christ's kingdom. And uh, there's no imagery involved. It's clear, very clear. This is talking about the world, the rulers of the world, and what they think about God and his anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some parallels, even with the day in which we live with this passage. But it's nothing new. The times in which we live may appear to be new to us, but the spirit of the age is nothing new. There have always been people who have opposed God, the Creator, and His anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do the heathen rage? It's a legitimate question. Why is it a heathen is in reference to those who, who do not acknowledge the Lord as Creator God, those who reject His existence and reject that He is indeed alive and well? Why do they rage? 
What are they so angry about? What are they gathering together about? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? What are they thinking, wasting their time with all of this thinking, empty thoughts? And then to clarify, the kings of the earth set themselves with a determination to accomplish something. The rulers take counsel together. There's this gathering together as if uh, two or more, a, a multitude of rulers and leaders of government officials and leaders of the nations, as if the gathering together of forces, they think that more together they can accomplish more and stand in the place and in the stead of God. And they set themselves, the scriptures say, and take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Why is it that we see this strange allegiance today? And why is it that throughout the history of humanity, mankind has tried to form allies and allegiances together and to do what they think God, as if there, we believe there is a God, to do and act in his stead, in his place, rallying together. And usually those who rally together are lovers of liberty and they do it in the name of liberty, but they do not love the liberty that Christ offers. Let us break their bands. Listen to the words that the kings of the earth and the rulers of the world taking counsel together and the, and the multitude, the mob of people gathering together, the majority of humanity. Let us break their bands asunder. They're gathering against God, the Lord, and against his anointed, which is Jesus Christ. And they're saying, let us break there. That's God and his son. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We want freedom. We want liberty from this God thing. Liberty from religion and liberty from the, the chains that so long people have tried to hold us with. You probably have heard of the, the author, famous author Voltaire, who started in many ways a revolution against God and against Christianity. And Voltaire was so proud of his writings, many of them were, were very vile, and many, many publishers refused to publish them and print them, refused to sell them because they were, they were very vile, many of his writings, but he gained much popularity. And he said, quoted, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. He was so proud of himself, so proud that he started a revolution against the Bible and against the chains of Christianity, how it's so enslaving. A hundred years, he said, from my day, you won't be able to find a Bible unless you find it in a museum. Ironically, 50 years after his death, his house became the home of the Evangelical Society of Geneva became the storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts. In the printing press that he once owned and used to print his vile works and writings, now printed Bibles. 
The man said, I'll make sure within a hundred years of my death there won't be a Bible on the planet. And of course, we laugh now. We think how silly. And this is exactly, this has been the theme of humanity throughout the ages. We don't want this, we will not have this man to rule over us. We want liberty, we want to live any way we want to live. But they have completely misunderstood what Jesus Christ offers. You see, Jesus doesn't offer any bands. Jesus doesn't offer any chains. God in heaven doesn't offer any cords except those cords of love that are spoken about in the book of Hosea. Let me read it for you there, Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam, and they burned incense to graven images, meaning they left God. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I raised them. God is speaking to his, his children. I brought them and cared for them, gave them everything that they need. I healed them when they were broken. And I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws. And I laid meat unto them. I set them free and they didn't even know it. You see, God in his anointed, the Lord Jesus, offers no bands or chains contrary to what you may have been taught or what people may have told you about Christianity. The Lord Jesus offers freedom, liberty. In fact, Jesus says in the book of Isaiah, it's a prophecy about the coming of the Savior, and Jesus quotes it in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me, there it is, the anointed one, to preach good tidings, good news, Unto the meek, the humble, those who are humble enough to hear it. But you see, the problem with the majority of humanities, we're so proud and arrogant. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear that we need God. He's come to bring good news to the meek. He hath sent me, this is what Jesus says, to bind up the brokenhearted. Oh yeah, he, he, he does bind things up, the broken heart. That's what he does. He fixes and heals the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. You see, the world in their, in their deluded vision of what God and the Lord Jesus is, think that God and Christ offer chains and a prison cell. But the truth is they can't see that they're in a prison cell themselves. They can't see that they're enslaved to a sin and a pattern of living. And they, they, and they can't understand that they are enslaved. And the only hope of freedom is Jesus Christ. The only hope. So many people wake up day after day hoping something's going to change. Well, they say that's the definition of, of insanity is to continue doing the same thing and expect a, a different result. Day after day, people continue in their habits and continue in the way they've been living. Day after day, and I just hope that one day something's going to change. Enslaved. Enslaved to a way of thinking. Enslaved to a way of living. Enslaved. Christ offers no cords and no bands. He offers liberty. He's come to set us free. But the Bible says the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. That's 
the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God of Israel. And his anointed, that's Jesus Christ. By the way, if you are against Jesus Christ, you are against God, God the Father. Some people say, well, I, I like the idea of God, but come on, let's not get too excited about Jesus. But if you are against Jesus Christ, you are against God. The two of them, they've set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Christ. And the scriptures say, they say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Let us squash this thing. They've set themselves determined. The Roman emperor Diocletian is just one example of many throughout the pages of history that have tried to squash Christianity. He ruled the Roman Empire from 245 A.D. to about 313 A.D. He was so proud of himself that he had a medal struck with an inscription upon it. The name of Christianity being extinguished. He had an image there of all of his diabolical deeds against Christianity. He had two monuments set up in his kingdom. One of them said this, Diocletian Jovian Maximin, Herculeus Caesarius Augustus. For having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the republic to ruin. And there he is in a grave today and Jesus is still alive and his kingdom is growing even on now. Amazing. You see, throughout the pages of history, humanity has always imagined they can squash this thing and set themselves free as they imagine from God and from Christ. Even today, you'll hear, you'll hear famous atheists and, and spokesmen for that philosophy of life saying, uh, we need to get rid of this uh, antiquarian idea of Christianity, of religion. Let's do away with it. There was a, a poll, I read it not long ago, there was a survey that came out and, and they said that the governing class of the United Kingdom thought that Christianity was at best an embarrassment to this society. And worst, at worst, proof positive of imbecility. That's what they said about Christianity. And they've labored more and more over the last 20 years, 50 years, to extinguish God and His Christ. But they, they fail to recognize the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual world. And the more you persecute his children, the more you kill or torture the children of God, the more that his kingdom grows. And so if you belong to his kingdom today, then do not be discouraged by what you see around you today. Do not be downcast and disheartened by the things that you're watching all around you. Because I want to encourage you, according to God's word, God is in control. He is just as much in control in the dark storm as he is on the bright sunshining day. And the Bible says that God's response to all these rulers and all of these people gathering together to figure out a way to do life without God. God says in verse number four, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Now don't, don't misunderstand this. He's not laughing at mankind's pain and suffering, but he's laughing at man's, mankind's silliness 
imagining that they can get rid of God. It's like the prophet said at one time, can the, can the clay pot say to the one that made it, hold on a moment now, what do you think you're doing? We laugh at that. We'd laugh if, if, we'd, if somebody would suggest to us that a clay pot made there on the potter's wheel could argue with the potter. We'd laugh. And yet here's humanity created by the very word of God and the image of God shaking our fist at heaven thinking we know best. The Bible says God sits in the heaven and he's not worried. He's not afraid. He's not depressed. You look around most Christians today, a lot of Christians today, and they're worried. Worried about the conditions of the world and afraid of what's next and afraid of vaccines and RFID chips and afraid of government control and afraid of, of uh, one world government. And, and, uh, and many of them are, have gone from fear now to depression, discouragement. They find themselves in a deep, dark pit. But can I tell you, God is not in heaven afraid. He's not wringing his hands nervously, wondering what's going to happen when all the rulers of the world get together and to develop a one world government. No, he laughs. He laughs. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. But I love what it says. Now, one day the Lord is going to deal with all of this, all of this pride and arrogance of man who will one day be dealt with. But the scripture says, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. It is the mercy of God that he would first speak to mankind before judgment would come. Now every one of us, every human being has a sense, some sense of justice stamped within our conscience. That comes from God because we have a just God. We want justice. Something is done wrong to us, we, it bothers us because we've, an injustice has been done to us. I was speaking with a friend yesterday about some apparent injustices that sometimes uh, we face. It bothers, why does it bother us? Why does it bother us when something, if we are simply, mere, if our brains are nothing more than a lump of meat, as Richard Dawkins suggests, and we're nothing more than a freak accident, humanity is nothing more than a freak accident, there is no right or wrong. It's all relative. There is no God. There is no morality. There is no immorality. There's all, it's now all morality. There is no morals. Well, if that's the case, then why does it bother us when something is done against us that we believe is wrong? Because we know there's a sense of justice stamped on our hearts and consciences and our minds. There's a sense of morality stamped on the very fabric of every human being. Because we were made in the image of God. And so God, the scriptures tell us, he will speak to them before judgment comes. Before he vexes them in his sore displeasure, he first will speak. And can I tell you, I believe God is speaking today as loudly as ever in our lifetime. And many people are worried, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing and look at all the rulers and kings getting together, where's God? No, 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 God is just as much alive today than ever before. He's on the throne. He sees it all. But the trouble is we've had our eyes so long on this world and we've been climatized so much by the world that we're bothered. 
instead of having our eyes on the Savior. And it's the mercy of God that he shall speak unto them in his wrath. Now the little tremblings, the little things we see around us, coming together of the nations and the, and the talk of vaccines and ch all the things that make Christians nervous and, and people who've read God's word and the, in, uh, the, the red book of Revelation, the end times prophecies, book of Daniel, anybody that's read those people get a little nervous. But God is speaking in these days, speaking in his wrath, warning people of the judgment to come. It's the same thing with Noah. Noah built the ark for 120 years. As he built that ark, it was God speaking. Every time the hammer hit a nail or a peg or whatever it was, he, every time it was God speaking for 120 years, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And every day people laughed at the man. Every day people laughed until judgment came. People may laugh every day at the believer, but God is speaking, giving people opportunity to repent, to repent of their sins, to turn to him. Giving opportunity for people to turn before the scriptures say he vexes them in his store displeasure. Look at the next expression, beautiful here. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now the world has a number of kings and rulers and leaders. And they're all moving. The world is moving as the scriptures even speak and prophesy. The world is moving to not just many kings on many different thrones, but the world is moving to establishing one, one king and one government that would really encompass it all. But God has his king upon a holy hill, a pure and right throne. And I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Listen to this. What God has said to Christ. What God has said to the anointed. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. No, I, I think it's amazing to me. Verse number one, why do the heathen rage? The ones who were raging and kicking up such a fuss and trying to squash Christianity will one day be given unto Christ for his inheritance. I once was a part of that crowd. Some of you may, may have the same testimony. I once was a part of that crowd, that heathen crowd that raged and imagined a vain thing. And now I belong unto the inheritance of Jesus Christ and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. This is a prophecy of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. This will ultimately be the demise of all those who continue to raise up against the Lord Jesus Christ and against the Lord Jehovah. The judgment of God. Now, people don't like to hear about the judgment of God, but we all like to hear about justice being served in a court of law today. But it, it, all of a sudden, it bothers us when we have to think to ourselves about our own judgment. We like the idea of hardened criminals having to face justice in a court of law, but it bothers us to imagine we ourselves have to stand before God and answer for our sin and for our wrongdoings. Nobody likes to imagine that. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now look at the instructions given in the last few words, few verses. Be wise now. Knowing. Knowing that what looks right now to be that the world is gathered together and the world has got it all figured out and the world is, is against God and squashing God and squashing Christianity. And they're going to extinguish it all. And it looks right now and all of God's people, the little people are saying, oh, what are we going to do? No, no, no. God is in control. But we know that there's coming a day when the Lord will say, enough is enough. My spirit shall not always strive with man. There's coming a day when God will say, enough is enough, and the judgment of the Lord will be at hand. So, he says, be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. And God in his mercy offers the opportunity for each one of us now to be wise. Wisdom is a very interesting thing, isn't it? Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world and not be wise. You can have all the understanding, information, knowledge in the world, but not have wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that is given to you. And so all the knowledge says, well, it looks like the world is in control. And look at all that's happening. And all the knowledge says, no, no, no. But we know that God, in fact, is in control. And soon and very soon, he will come and judge the earth in righteousness. And knowing that, be wise. Knowing that the Lord shall rule and reign. Be wise with the information and knowledge you've been given. And I love what the scripture said. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, we fear man, don't we? We fear what everybody thinks about us. And, and to follow the path of a Christian, we oftentimes look like an idiot. Nobody wants to look like an idiot in the eyes of the world. And nobody wants to look like an outcast. And nobody wants to look like a minority. So we're always, a lot of people are hesitant to be thrown in with that crowd. But be wise. Be wise. Now. O ye kings, be instructed. You see, it's the pride of, of a man's heart and mind that will not allow themselves to be instructed with truth. It's the pride and arrogance of the human heart that refuses to be instructed. That would rather be destroyed because pride would much rather be, be right in my own eyes than to admit that I'm wrong, to humble myself, the scriptures say God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Look at this. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice because we know that God is in control and all is well with us. And I love the 12th verse. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish from the way. Kiss the son. The kissing of a king was a sign of your submission, subjection to him and affection. Subjection and affection. Many people will not come to Christ because they refuse to submit to him. They refuse to humble themselves. Why should I serve him? I'm, they want to be their own God. They want to be their own king. The only thing that's ever got us is destruction, trouble. Being my own king, the only thing being my own king ever got me was trouble. 
The only thing that I ever earned from being my own king and leading my own self and making my own, being the king of my life, the only thing that ever got me was trouble. And so, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish. What a thought. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Can I ask you this morning, have you kissed the son? Have you bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus and given your affection to him? Do you love him? Because he first loved you. This is not, God is not interested in, in, in making us bow the knee and forcing us to follow him. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's an encouragement. Be wise. Now is the time to do it. Yield yourself to him. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Can I ask you this morning, have you put your trust in him? The majority of humanity today is putting their trust in governments and government decisions and, and caucuses and, and all sorts of gatherings together. They've put their trust and confidence in man. But the scriptures say, blessed are they, happy are they that put their trust in him, in God. What about you? I know things are a little uncertain in this day, but one thing is very certain, that is God is in control. God is in control. And he's giving man the opportunity and this, these last hours to turn from their sin before the judgment is poured out upon the earth. Will you come to him? Or will you defiantly and proudly resist him? Amazing that this king offers, allows us to approach him, invites us to come, invites us and allows us and welcomes us, not just to be a part of his kingdom, but to be a part of his family. That we would be accepted into the beloved, we would be adopted as sons, the scriptures say. That's the difference between this king and all the other kings of the earth. All, all the other kings of the earth have only ever wanted more people to, to work at their bidding. We have a king that desires for us to be a part of his family. To show us his love. To be a part of who he is. What about you? Christian, be encouraged. Take heart. The heathen may rage and the people may imagine a vain thing, but God is on the throne. And he is just as much in control as he's ever been before. If you're an unbeliever today, then I would say, as the psalmist said, be wise. Be wise now. And kiss the son. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we've been given another day of mercy. Another opportunity turn. Many, many years we have wandered in our own strength, in our own way. For far too long we have imagined ourselves to be the king and queen of our own life. Imagined ourselves to be our own little gods that rule and govern our own destiny. But we can't help but look at our lives and realize that all of our decisions and all of our plans have not worked out quite the way we wanted. Truly, there is someone higher than I. And I pray for the one today especially who is resisting and rejecting 
the Lord and his anointed. And I pray that today thy spirit might draw them to thyself with those cords of love that Hosea spoke of. Help them to see that the king we serve is a gracious, merciful, loving king. We ask of thee, Lord, guide us as thy children. Take fear from us, we pray. Take discouragement from us. And replace it with a great confidence and faith in thee. Guide us through the rest of this day and bring us back together again very soon, we ask. In Christ Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.